Welcome to Talking Robots, the podcast with an inside view on the science, technology, and business of intelligent robotics. Hi, I'm Sabine Howard from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems at the EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. In this episode, we interview Inman Harvey from the Center for Computational Neuroscience and Robotics at the University of Sussex in the UK. He's also faculty in the Evolutionary and Adaptive Systems Group in the same university. One recipe to make a robot we believe acts like a human is to take a good old X degrees of freedom humanoid, embed it with a good old representation of its body, and a couple of objects processed through its camera, and add some good old-fashioned artificial intelligence, or GoFi, to make the robot talk, plan, and even do a dance move or two. But will this approach lead to human-like robots? And do these robots have a meaning or a purpose in the world? Hi, Inman. Welcome to Talking Robots. Good morning. In 2000, you published a paper on the influence of the philosophical position of robot designers when creating autonomous robots. What do you mean by philosophy of mind using a screwdriver? Right. Well, people do robotics for all sorts of different motives. Sometimes they just want something, um, some practical solution to some practical problem, um, where building a machine to do it for them is um, the obvious route to take. Some people are interested in more autonomous robotics, where they're trying not just to have a robot that does things for you, but a robot that does things for itself to some extent. And this is uh, an extension of the dream of artificial intelligence um, to try and recreate in a machine something that replicates some, hopefully many of the properties of living creatures, humans in particular. And um, when you're in this business, it's sometimes tempting to get immersed in the technical details of how do you build machines that do particular things. But what I and many others would suggest is one has to stand back and think at a far more um, deeper level than that, because inescapably, when you're trying to recreate something autonomous and in some sense living in the business of artificial life, for instance, then clearly this requires you to take some considered thought on what it is to be alive. And these are not just technical questions, these are philosophical questions. And indeed, for some people, including myself, on many days of the week, I have different motives on different days of the week, but on many days, my motive for doing robotics is basically as one means of tackling this sort of question. What does it mean for something to be alive, as opposed to being merely a machine? And these are philosophical questions um, to do with understanding what cognition is, what life is, And when you're doing this, the benefit of doing this via robotics is it focuses the mind. I mean, for philosophers, talk is cheap. Um, But when you're doing robotics, 
it's not good enough just to wave your arms and say, I think this is a good idea. You have to actually try it out and see if you can get it to work. And so, in this sense, robotics is a handy tool for exploring ideas about what it is to be live, what it is to be cognitive. It's a sort of puppet which one, a robot is a puppet that one moulds and shapes to try and demonstrate, test one's ideas about what is crucial to cognition. And that's the sort of sense in which I like to use the phrase philosophy of mind with a screwdriver. A lot of people are approaching this question of how to create a robot which is like us using GoFi or good old-fashioned artificial intelligence. What, in your opinion, characterizes this approach? Right. Um, some people use uh, GoFi, good old-fashioned art artificial intelligence, because they don't know any better, <laughs> because it's the sort of standard view in much of the field of AI. And so people assume, well, building robots that have cognition in some sense is merely a technical objective. And um, so many people have bought into the philosophical aspects of GoFi without realizing they're buying into a philosophical, philosophical approach. Um, there has been a philosophical divide, which, of course, you know, there's a whole spectrum of opinions on both sides of the divide, but very crudely speaking, there's the, the GoFi view versus the, and then on the other side, all sorts of factions, if you like, or overlapping movements, dynamical systems approach, the inactive approach, people talk in terms of embodied um, systems, um, who take a very different perspective on what it is to be alive, and this actually informs the way in which they start to build um, autonomous robotic systems. If you want to sort of nail it down to a sort of classical example of how different philosophical approaches lead to difficult, different approaches to the practical problems, one example I like to use is that of um, humanoid walking robots, which have become quite popular in Japan. The car companies spend hundreds of millions of dollars to build um, walking robots, I think primarily to as, as advertising purposes. But typically, you will see um, things like the Honda Asimo robot using GoFi approaches, whereby they treat the business of walking as solving a lot of um, abstract problems. Where should I put my foot next? How should I next move my left knee? And treating as an intellectual problem which is very much in the um, uh, mode of thought of GoFi, of thinking of AI problems as problem solving. And chess problem solving is the sort of archetypal GoFi example of what they mean by intelligence. So the GoFi approach to building a walking robot is to turn the problem of walking across a room into a succession of, in effect, chess problems. Um, solving problem, um, issues, a, a set of um, 
solving equations. And the result of that is, in practice, um, you see the robots like the Honda Asimo tending to solve lots of static problems and finish up with a um, quite effective way of walking, which actually is not human-like or animal-like in the way it does it. In contrast, if you follow the what's called the passive dynamic walking route, where you see walking as um, moving a body with limbs across across the floor, and in fact walking for a bipedal human is not solving a lot of problems. It's actually um, a dynamic process of swinging one's limbs so that one is always falling yet always getting the next foot in place to prevent that fall and start the next pace. So the alternative view looks at the dynamics of the process and for instance notices that limbs look a bit like pendulums which have a natural swing to them and that animals and humans are bodies with control systems and the natural swing of a limb is what gives the uh, exploiting that natural swing is what makes human and animal walking um, relatively cheap and effective not so much energy is used in that much of the natural dynamics is exploited and the net result of people following up these biological observations and coming from a perspective of looking at the dynamics of the body as in the forefront of their concerns is that they build very different style of robots and in the passive dynamic walking um, uh, domain of research there's a lot of rather graceful simple walking machines that are actually designed on very different principles from the good old-fashioned AI influence designs. So that's one example where taking the different philosophical approaches results in different ways of building robots. And what is the importance of representation? Representation, well... Um, I sort of came into this field of AI about 20 years ago and I was slightly shocked um, to discover that the, of course, the dominant um, philosophy was a sort of go-fi-influence philosophy. And there was this strange notion that people had of cognition was something to do with internal representations that, and I stress the word internal there, um, and when I try and work, which people really didn't want to quite explain, they took it as obvious that, of course, we used internal representations, and I couldn't quite work out what they meant by them. There's this naive view that um, you may have seen pictures of a, a cartoons of a human head with a little box inside the brain and a little cinema screen and pictures of the outside world coming through the eyes of the um, 
cartoon head and somehow being redisplayed on a cinema screen inside the brain where little homunculi, little um, little uh, scientists in white um, lab coats were, so to speak, inspecting what was on the internal screen. And as an explanation of how humans see things, this is clearly absurd because it's just pushed the problem under the carpet. It's changed the problem from how does the human see the tree in the outside world to how does this metaphorical human, the homunculus inside the internal brain cinema, how does that homunculus see the projected tree on the cinema screen inside the brain? Clearly that's totally absurd. And when I've tried to press GoFi people as to whether that's what they mean by internal representations, they always accept that, it, that that's an absurd picture. And yet, to my mind, they carry on using exactly that picture. And this... Um, to, to my mind, it's, it's just, just so obvious that's an absurd picture, um, that I spent many years arguing against this notion of internal representations, so much so that some people started calling me an anti-representationist, which to me was not what I was talking about at all. I actually think that as a human being, I use representations all the time, but they are not in my brain. So, um, language, writing, drawing pictures, using maps, um, these are all representations, they are representations of the world. A map showing me the way around a city is a representation of ink on paper or perhaps um, lines on a screen. That helps me find my way around a city but it's external it's on paper or on a screen and this is to my mind quite central as to what it is for us to be human because I think humans are language users and language is intimately connected with this notion of representation of being able to discuss, think about parts of the world that are not currently here present to discuss with other people or discuss with, some, with oneself, to think about, to plan about something that is not present with you right at the moment. And that is crucial to what's to being human, our ability to use language in this way, and that uses representations, representations, the problem I have is with the GoFi point of view seems to have taken this absurd step of talking about internal representations in the brain, which um, just simply doesn't stand up to moments observation. In your abstract for the 50th anniversary of AI, you wrote, I shall sketch the failure of the computer metaphor for the brain, the failure of the first wave of artificial neural networks, the failure of neuroscience, the unanswered questions of behavior-based robotics, where is the juice? 
So what does the juice artificial agents lack? Okay, well, the juice is a term that um, Rod Brooks uses to try and identify um, what's missing in autonomous robots nowadays. And there are various versions of this story, but uh, and I'm not sure whether I'm giving precisely Rod Brooks's, but uh, here goes, that we can build semi-autonomous robots in some sense that can um, navigate across a lab, lab, can avoid obstacles and people. Um, so they give a pretty convincing picture to us, the observers, that they have in some sense intentionality. Um, we can say, hey, this is trying to reach the door, and when an obstacle got in the way, it found a way around it. We're attributing intentionality, and I'm quite happy to, in doing that. However, there's something missing so far that robots might do things that they are explicitly programmed to do, or if we use evolutionary robotics that we've evolved them to do, we've either written in the code to make them to want to reach the door, or we've evolved populations of robots such that only those that succeed in reaching the door come to survive. But they don't really care about it in the sense that a living animal does. So if you, if you trap a wild bird in a cage, or indeed in your hands, it will try and find the door or find the escape out of your clutch. But it doesn't just do it as an um, unconcerned, oh, I wonder if this way gets me out. It will actually struggle and will really care about getting out and um, we, we can talk about them, you know, suffering, having pain perhaps. But we can't do that, it seems, so far with any of the robots that we might have built. They might make a good shot at, at finding their way out of the door, out of the cage, but they don't really care one way or the other. If they fail, they fail, and um, tough, but there's, there's no kind of emotional caring going on in there. So according to this picture, there is something missing in the robots we build that if we're trying to emulate, replicate real living creatures, we need to work out what's missing and put it in there, and if you think of it as a thing that you put in, that sort of goes with the metaphor of the juice. It's a sort of vitalist term, really, that there's something essential missing. Now, it might not be a component. It might be something else. But that, I think, is what Rob Brooks refers to, the juice, and various other people have similar concerns, not necessarily using the term the juice. Do you have an intuition on an approach which could be used to create agents which have a, a sort of meaning or a value in their world? Well, yes. Um, uh, I mean, I'm quite a fan of 
the sort of autopoietic approach to understanding life. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a fully card-carrying sign-up member of the autopoietic party, but I'm certainly very sympathetic. And the notion of autopoiesis, um, brought together by Maturan and uh, Francisco Varela, is that what's special about living things is that they are continually self-creating. They're not a static object. They're an ongoing process so that all the molecules in my body may actually be different from all the molecules that were in my body 10 years ago. In, there's a cycling of nutrients in and out driven by um, energy. So the actual physical constituents may be changing, but hopefully there's still some ongoing identity between myself now and myself 10 years ago. And it's that organization that has been maintained. Um, so living organisms are an ongoing process um, that is self-maintaining and when uh, but not forever typically and one dies from old age or from being run over by a car and this necessity to uh, for survival in the sense of self-maintaining is what grounds values and caring so ultimately one cares about one's survival and sort of indirectly lots of other sort of less crucial caring less immediately vital caring is kind of built um, built up on that ultimate grounding in survival and I may say it's not just survival of oneself as an individual but as an individual human being, I have maybe many identities, you know, as a member of a, um, a family, a culture, a, a nation, a, a species, a, a lineage, um, a, an, a, a cultural tradition, um, an academic tradition. All of these things are ongoing processes that... Um, are to a greater or lesser extent self-maintaining, and each and, and each of those generates their own values and things to care about. Can you maybe explain the term autopoietic? Yes. Well, um, from the Greek, so far as my rather rusty Greek goes, auto means self and poiesis, which I guess is related to the term for poetry, is to do with creating, self-creating. So um, a difference between robots and animals and plants is that a robot is created by um, typically humans buying stuff off the shelf that have been made in factories by other humans and assembling them. And when a part of a, of a robot breaks, then another human, an engineer, a technician, has to come along and mend it. As contrasted with animals and plants, 
um, are continually self-recreating so that hopefully when I cut my finger um, some of the tissue is cut away and broken um, but if I look after it carefully a scab will form and it will recreate itself um, and we can understand that with individual um, scars and damage of that kind but in fact the whole body of an animal or a plant not just individual parts of it the whole body of it is self-recreating and I guess that's the, the, the simplest way to get over what the notion of autopoiesis. Let's go back to alternative approaches to GoFi. Uh, you're at the root of evolutionary robotics. What are the advantages of this approach? Right, well, evolutionary robotics is um, an approach to designing robots whereby one tries to minimize the sort of pre preconceptions one puts in. So naturally evolved animals and plants, um, there wasn't um, an external designer with a capital D who planned how to put together the body and the muscles and the nervous system. Rather, evolution tinkered and played and put together whatever worked. And evolutionary robotics takes a similar stance um, of saying, we don't really know how to put together a nervous system for a robot. Let's, rather than putting together our preconceptions and designing them in by hand, let's merely set up the conditions whereby artificial evolution can has the possibility of evolving systems that work, and then with minimal preconceptions, set it going, press the go button, um, go away, let artificial evolution find what... Um, nervous system architectures and parameters it can and then after the event um, check to what extent it works um, perhaps analyze how it works um, I have a slight prejudice often against analyzing how it works um, and it does free one from the uh, typically go-fi constraints of saying, hey, if a robot is going to work, then there's no alternative to making it this way, where this way might include with internal representations or something. So in the internal representation debate, one of the things we did very early on was evolve in artificial evolution, robots that did jobs that other people, GoFi people, thought required internal representations and say, well, here's the evolved robot. It does what you said needed internal representations. Here, open up the brain. You can see inside. Where are they? Clearly, what you thought was necessary was not necessary. Do you think that if artificial evolution is correctly implemented, it can lead to the juice we were talking about before? 
Um, yes and no. Um, the juice, I don't... Uh, I, th- I think the term the juice is a bit misleading, is it, is it in that it is... It suggests that there is something missing that we need to put in, and I don't think there is anything missing that we need to put in. I think it's a, it's you know, the juice suggests it's a technical problem. There's something technical missing, and I don't think there is anything technical missing. Um, in terms of um, making robots more complex then um, there are two ways of making robots more complex one is by explicit clever design and the other is by um, messy evolutionary design and both of these have these virtues my view is that in the long term human design has a ceiling beyond which we're simply not clever enough to design um, interactions that avoid all the problems that need to be foreseen. So I see the human design method as eventually hitting a glass ceiling, if you like, nowhere near it yet, whereas evolution robotics I don't see as having that ceiling. So in the very long term, I see evolution robotics as surpassing the human design method. But that's a bit different from the question of the juice. Do you see something specific which would be above this glass ceiling? Um, well, I'll give you a sort of theoretical example, which is that some humans think, well, they don't even think, they assume without thinking that in principle, humans should be able to design robots, artificial humans, that are as complex as themselves. This seems to me absurd. If you look at um, C. elegans, a nematode worm that's very well studied, with about 300 neurons, pretty simple worm thingy, thousands and thousands of scientists across the world have been studying it, And the um, the developmental history from a single cell to this um, multicellular worm of 300 odd of which cells and neurons is fully known. This wiring diagram, so to speak, this nervous system is, I think, fully known. But to a rough approximation, almost nothing is known about how um the 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 the, the behavior of the nematode worm is, is generated i mean plenty is known but as a proportion of all there is to know a time, there's a almost all is left to still be discovered so to my mind it might be a sort of plausible goal for human beings to understand how a nematode worm works in say a thousand years time And so in principle, perhaps in a thousand years' time, we might be able to um, build something of the complexity of a nematode worm if we fully understand it. Um, but the notion of a nematode worm itself, 
understanding how an MDO worm works, and hence being able to explicitly design a copy of itself, is clearly absurd. And to my mind, the notion of humans being able to understand enough about humans' work to recreate a human is absurd as expecting a nematode worm to understand enough about nematode worms for the nematode worm to recreate an artificial version of itself. So that's a sort of um, theoretical, if you like, pointer to the fact that clearly there are limits to how complex a system a human being can explicitly design. Evolutionary robotics, however, would not be constrained by those particular constraints. Let's talk a bit about the future now. If you had to focus on one area of interest in the near future, what would it be? Well, I have multiple areas of interest, but of course you're, you're nailing me down to one at the moment. So, um, My current main focus of interest is trying to get a sort of abstract, almost mathematical understanding of how complex nonlinear feedback systems um, can be expected to work and how homeostasis in the sense of regulating complex nonlinear feedback systems um, can be what are the constraints when can homeostasis be expected to occur almost for free and I think there's a lot of very basic work to be done here which will lead to understanding of um, living organisms as one example of complex nonlinear feedback systems and the relationship between living organisms and the planet, which comes back to the notion of climate change. 20 years from now, which fields of robotics will have had the biggest impacts on our lives? Right. Um, well, if we're talking public impact, then um, robotics hasn't really yet had any big public impact in the way that um, computing, for instance, and the World Wide Web has. And I guess um, the robotics industry um, is still looking for its killer application, which is a bit of an unfortunate word because one of the killer applications that uh, I suspect might be earliest is the military killer application scenario where, regrettably, um, particularly in the U.S., there's a big move towards um, more autonomous killing machines whereby wars can be waged um, with less American lives lost and more of the other side. And this is something I'm um, rather disturbed by. Um, in terms of practical everyday peaceful applications. I guess we'll see more and more autonomous driving systems or autonomous systems, um, semi-autonomous systems taking over control of cars. Um, but there's, there's nothing immediately I can see on the horizon. Um, what I'm really hoping for is something 
um, astonishing that nobody had predicted to come up. Um, so the really big changes that I've seen in the last 20 years, something like the, the Internet or um, Google, for instance, these have had enormous impacts on a lot of the ways that some of us interact with the world and work and were not particularly foreseen. Um, so in terms of asking me to predict what's going to be um, most important breakthrough in the next 20 years, I hope it's something unpredictable that nobody's foreseen. Thanks, Inman, for being here with us on Talking Robots. Okay, thank you. That was Inman Harvey on the philosophy of robotics. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you in two weeks. Talking Robots, the inside view on robotics. For more information on past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website at lis.epfl.ch.